Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. Brethren, this is the Word of God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Then follows the account of our Lord's temptations. Now, go down to verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of Him throughout all the region round about. And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto Him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when He had opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And He closed the book, and He gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And He began to say unto them, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious word to our hearts this evening. Jesus Christ's entire ministry was a revelation of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3 verse 34 tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ possessed the Spirit of God without measure. And this gives us insight into why He was called Messiah or the Christ. Both of these words mean the anointed. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. That's not simply a title. He was anointed by God His Father at His baptism with the oil of the Holy Spirit. He was filled without measure and was set forth in the eyes of men as the one anointed of God. The almighty power of the Holy Spirit is a primary theme in Luke's writings. In fact, some people refer to him as the theologian 
of the Holy Spirit, as the writer of both Luke and Acts. Now, this is the foundation of all Jesus did and all that he spoke. Very often, for some reason, it's easy for us to overlook that. Jesus went and did what he did in his glorious ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is an important progression of thought beginning in chapter 3, verse 21. In fact, if you will look there with me for just a moment, Luke 3, 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son. In thee I am well pleased. Hear, brethren, is the glorious inauguration of Messiah's public ministry. Here the Lord Jesus Christ is commended by His Father and anointed from on high to do the great and good works that He did until such time as He hung upon the cross of Calvary. Now, It says in verse 22, the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. Here Jesus is publicly anointed so that he might do his Father's will. So that he might accomplish the Father's eternal purpose and his holy mission. Luke then tells us in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, look at the words, being full of The Holy Ghost. A little further in the verse. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Then, verse 14 in chapter 4. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Brethren, do you see this? Luke is driving this home inspired by the Holy Spirit to set before our eyes that this glorious ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is the inauguration of the Messianic Kingdom. It's not the final form of it. But this is what the Lord Jesus Christ Himself was pointing to when He said later, If I, by the finger of God, if I, by the Spirit, cast out devils, then surely the Kingdom is come near you. The Kingdom is here. Now, Jesus Christ's glorious work and Messiah's glorious kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And it is great, mighty, powerful. That is why the only way to enter into it is to be born again. And how are we born again? By the miraculous, gracious work of the Holy Spirit. How is it that we understand the Word of God? By the Holy Spirit. And here we see our beloved Lord anointed, tested after being driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness and then returning in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And it says, And there went a fame of Him through all the region round about. The news 
traveled far and wide. Why was that? Well, for whatever people thought they were seeing, the reason is because among them was one filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. In the power of the Spirit is Luke's theme. As a matter of fact, there when we see in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, that returning is pointing uh, to, not just that He's geographically coming from somewhere, but that He is coming back from His baptism, where He was anointed, and back from the temptations which He faced by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, filled with that great and glorious Spirit, then goes right into the kingdom of the enemy. And then it says in verse 15, And He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Brethren, I can only stand in awe of what those people heard. I, I have heard, I think, in my life, on several occasions, what I believe to have been genuinely anointed preaching. And yet, even then, it was still with faulty and weak vessels of dust. But here, among the people, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the perfect Holy Son of God. No sin a perfect vessel and filled with the Spirit without measure. This is why people, when they heard Him, would say, we're amazed, we're dumbfounded at this kind of teaching. He teaches as one with authority. Was it because He could stomp and foam with the best of them? Is that why they listened? No, it was because the Spirit of God was upon His preaching and teaching. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Brethren, what incredible words fell on the ears of those who heard such teaching. What a blessing they knew. Now, Luke wants us to know that the Lord Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah. This is not just interesting tidbits of uh, biblical narrative. We're being told that here is God's glorious Messiah. And we even notice that when He goes into the synagogue, read with me again in verse 16, He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Always faithful in the worship of His Father. Now He returns to Nazareth. He goes in. He stands up to read. And there was delivered unto Him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Of course, in those days, they didn't have books like we have them. They were scrolls. And so He unrolled that scroll until He found this place. And what were the very first words there? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. From His baptism 
to his temptation, to the beginning of his public ministry of preaching and miracles, Jesus the Christ was endowed with the mighty power of God's Holy Spirit. And this was so that he might embody the greatest revelation of God to man. And in this passage, Jesus tells us why the Father anointed and empowered Him with the Spirit. So let us hear from the lips of our own Lord what He says. He opened the book, or He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops right there. Back in Isaiah... It goes on to say, and to bring the vengeance of the Lord. That was not to be in His first coming. And He amazingly stopped right at that point of His reading. He is in the glorious stages of His inauguration of the Messianic Kingdom. Brethren, this is glorious. But I have to say, of, of the passages in Scripture, this is one of them where whenever I read it, and the Lord grants me the grace to actually think about it, I want to take off my shoes, for this is holy ground. If we can picture the Lord coming back to the town where He was raised, going into the synagogue he was, where He was accustomed to go, the people knew Him there, and there, were, there was a point in the synagogue service where those who were recognized and appointed could stand and read from the Scripture, the Lord Jesus Christ standing among His brethren takes this scroll, finds this Scripture, and says all of the glorious things that we've just read. But then notice, in verse 21, or verse 20, it says, He closed the book, He rolled it back up, he gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, this is an incredible scene to me. The Lord has spoken the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. And there is something about it so awesome. Something about it so arresting that when he closes it up and sits down, every eye in the place is on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. There was not another moment like that in history. And I hope that we grasp something of its significance. 
Now, let's consider why God the Father empowered Him to preach. And that is the title of our message. He hath anointed me to preach. Is it not amazing, brethren, that the Lord Jesus Christ does not say, He hath anointed me to open the eyes of the blind, to open the ears of the deaf, to call forth the dead. And He could have said those things. But what is the very first thing after His battle with Satan? What's the very first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ declares? I've been anointed to preach. God the Father has chosen me to declare words. The preaching simply means declaring, making an announcement, proclaiming. And of all the things that could have been said about this being filled with the Spirit, he says, God the Father anointed me to preach. And brethren, this is one of the reasons even from the time of the Reformation and into all of those places where the Spirit of God moved among men, they began to move away from simply liturgical forms and began to focus on the preaching and the teaching of the Word because it was preeminent ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't immediately jump into miracles. He immediately began to disclose the glories of the Word of God. The power in Christ's preaching was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't simply because He had sat and learned to manipulate His vocal cords so that he had a wonderful and melodious voice and so captivated the people because he just had a great command of showbiz. And I've seen that. Perhaps you have as well. There are a lot of men that get up in the pulpit and they're great pulpiteers. They're great showmen. They can take uh, emotions and manipulate men and women. They know when to boom and they know when to be soft and they know when to weep and they know when to make everyone laugh and they know all these types of things. But the Lord Jesus Christ did not draw the attention of men by these things. It wasn't simply because He had a wonderful command of language. It wasn't simply because he had a commanding appearance. Some of these fellows that are well-known pulpiteers are they're nice, handsome people with wonderful voices and, and they have a commanding presence. But the Scripture says that there was no beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ. We should behold Him. That we should be drawn to Him simply because He was like a star or a celebrity. That wasn't there. What was the power? What was the attraction? What spoke, brethren? It was the almighty power of the Holy Spirit. 
And brethren, this is what any preaching ultimately must have. Brethren, we must have real discernment from the Spirit, lest we ourselves find ourselves entertained by men who simply know how to scratch the sovereign grace itch. If they say election enough and predestination enough and the blood enough, will we go, Amen, Amen, Amen. God was with us. Not necessarily. Brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ was filled with the Spirit of God that He might be the revelation of God unto men. Psalm chapter 45, verse 7, speaking prophetically of Christ, says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The Lord Jesus Christ was to have the preeminence. And as the God-man, He was given the Spirit without measure. Oh, all of God's children have the Spirit. But none of us can lay claim to having the Spirit without measure. The Lord Jesus Christ was anointed above His fellows. Why? So that He could preach. So that He could bring God's message to men. Isaiah 11, 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Brethren, this is why when He spoke... It was as if He dove into the hearts of men. And they came away moved, shaken, amazed. Never man spake like this man. Who said that? Those that were sent out to get Him and bring Him back. They said, never man spake like this man. It wasn't because he was clever and put together wonderful three-point messages. It was because he was the living God come in the flesh to bring the revelation of heaven, the saving revelation of heaven to a lost and dying world. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. That's why he could say, to His disciples, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. How could they see? The one anointed with the Spirit without measure instructed them. And they sat in His light and heard eternal truth unfolded. Alright, fellas. You didn't understand that parable I just gave about the sower. Well, here's what it means. And He unfolded that glorious truth to them. And their eyes were blessed. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. Oh, God the Father loves His Son. And He upheld Him. Mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. Oh, how the Father delights in the Son. And oh, how the Son delighted in His Father. They had had an unbroken fellowship from all eternity. And now, as the Son takes on humanity, becomes man, 
What a precious relationship there always was between them. The father says, oh, I delight in him. Prophetically uttered here, we heard it at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Brethren, do you understand? Right there, you and I are in the Bible. The only reason you and I are sitting here tonight under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is because He brought forth judgment to the Gentiles. He brought His truth to us. He went out past the boundaries of national Israel. And the Lord began to draw in all of His spiritual Israel. And we're here as part of that tonight. In Messiah's kingdom. Why? Because someone brought this Word to you. Messiah's Word. His kingdom's Word to you. And by His Spirit, He gave you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand. Blessed are your eyes. Brethren, do you, do you grasp that? This is what grace should bring our hearts to, to, to see. Should make us a worshiping people. Well, the power of Christ's preaching here is the Holy Spirit. And the foundation of Christ's preaching is the Word. The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. There's always a struggle throughout the history of the church between the two. There are always those that are out there running around going, The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit! Don't bind me all up with that Phariseeistic coming to me with the Bible stuff. I'm looking for my revelations. And then we have people on the other hand who just go, oh, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, but they're as dead and dry as dust. No life in them. No joy in them. It must be Spirit and Word. Spirit and Word. It is when the Holy Spirit takes the glorious Word of life and makes it alive in our hearts. We have the revelation of God. We come to know and understand His glory and His beauty and what He's done to save us from our sins. The Spirit and the Word. And we have it gloriously combined in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Christ's custom to attend the worship of His Father, as we have already seen. He knew and He loved the Scriptures. How did He do battle with Satan out there in the wilderness? It is written. It is written. What did Jesus stand on? It is written. The very Word of His Father. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when that Word meant something. Power. Glory. Amazing that this one who loved those Scriptures found Isaiah's prophecy of him and read it to the congregation. Brethren, do you see it? Do you see the glory of it? Your mind's eye. Here is the inscripturated Word being read by the incarnate Word. He, filled with the Spirit without measure, 
speaking the glorious words of God. And He Himself, the very Word of God. It's, it's a lot to take in. That is an extraordinary thought. Here is that glorious conjunction of heaven and earth. God speaking to men perfectly. The perfect preacher. The perfect sermon. This is a moment in history to stop and ponder. Now, hundreds of years before this moment, the prophet Isaiah had been filled with the spirit of prophecy. Christ's own spirit had inspired him to speak that prophetic utterance. Now this is what Peter was writing about, this kind of thing, when he said in his epistle, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. The Spirit of Christ moving Isaiah to write, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Hundreds of years later, incarnate, the Word of God stands and read that which He spoke by His prophet and now says to those who hear, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. When the Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated that glorious kingdom, what had to precede it? The power of the Spirit. When He sent out His disciples, what did He tell them? Go into the city and wait for what? promise of the Father. What was that? Power from on high to do what? To preach God's message. To bring the revelation of God to men. Why was Peter, who a short time before was afraid of a little girl, how was Peter able to stand before his own brethren and say, you took the Lord Jesus Christ and with bloody hands crucified Him? He'd been anointed with the Spirit of God. Anointed to preach. And it says the very angels desire to look into this. Brethren, incredible. The Spirit speaking through Isaiah, prophesying the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ finding that Scripture... And saying, I am the fulfillment of it. And it's landing right in your ears. Right now. Well, let's consider then what he said to them for a few minutes. If he was anointed to preach. If Messiah the King was given a message. What did his father give him to say? He hath given me commandment. What I should say and what I should speak. He said in John. Well, we have some of it set before us. Every single line of this, as I'm sure you well know, could be a sermon in and of itself. But beginning there in verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The word gospel means a good report, glad tidings, good news. Jesus announced that He is filled with the Almighty Spirit of God to bring good news to whom? The poor. But is He simply addressing those who don't have money, who don't have a financial house to order, who do not have Stocks and bonds. It's not what he's talking about, brethren. The sinner lives in spiritual poverty. Sin has rendered us spiritual paupers in the eyes of God. This is why the great hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We are utterly destitute in relation to the things of salvation. We have nothing with which to pay the debt of our sin. And we certainly don't want to cover our nakedness with the rags of our self-righteousness. What's the good news? The good news is the Lord Jesus Christ has come to bring the message of Himself. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says, Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Are you poor? Do you see that you were a pauper before God? Are you willing to confess that you have nothing to bring before God to pay for the debt of your sins? Then there is good news for you. Jesus brought it. And it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of His Grace. Salvation is not by our law keeping. Salvation is not by how intelligent or how wise we are. Salvation is not because we are Baptists or Lutherans or Presbyterians or Pentecostals. Salvation is not simply because we have been baptized or because we gather with the Lord's children. Salvation is all of grace. It is the glorious work of God by which power of the Spirit, He draws His children unto Him. He sends out His gospel truth. He sends out the message of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who kept the law perfectly on their behalf, who died upon the cross of Calvary, paying the penalty of their sins, who was raised again the third day, and all of this glorious work done so that we might have everlasting union with Him. That's the riches of God's grace. He purposed it before the foundation of the world. It has come to us in history in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that repent of their sins and believe on Him find riches eternal. 
Jesus Christ was anointed to bring the good news about His glorious person and His great work to those who have no recourse to God but grace. Those that look to themselves have no hope. But I say to you, if you realize your poverty before God, come to the riches that are in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, carried in the Spirit, says in Ephesians 3.8, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God. Brethren, this is so high you can't attain unto it. It is so deep you can't get to the bottom. It is so broad you cannot get around it. The love of Christ for His people, which He had for them before the foundation of the world, and in His glorious purpose to become man and die in their behalf, is something, is, it is a treasure that we will mine all the days of our lives. Unsearchable riches. We can't get to the bottom. It's a gold mine where the vein just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The diamonds, the pearls, the rubies, all the precious jewels of Christ as we begin to find Him and seek Him and know Him in His glorious Word and by His Spirit. Unsearchable riches. Christ came to bring good news to the poor. Secondly, He came to heal the brokenhearted. When we speak of the sinner's brokenness here, we must bring to mind that the Scriptures tell us sin is a devastating thing. It wastes and it destroys everything that it touches. And yet men still cleave to their sins as to their dearest possessions. Yet when the Holy Spirit opens a sinner's eyes and shows him his destructive path and the damage he's done to himself and others, it breaks his heart. Oh, we're not talking about those whose hearts are broken because they've lost a loved one. And Christ brings comfort for that. But this is not what we're talking about. It's not because, oh, I've lost the love of my life. Oh, I've lost my job. Oh, I've lost these things. He's not talking about comforting those that are facing the day-to-day aches and agonies. He's talking about those who under the weight of their sins have come to see their vileness and their corruption and whose hearts are broken that they've sinned against so good a God. Their hearts are broken that they have learned by the Word of God that they've earned for themselves nothing but damnation and have no hope except that God be merciful. Is there good news for someone in that condition? Jesus said, I've been anointed to bring good news. Psalm 34, verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He's near to those whose hearts have been broken by the hammer of God's Word. Whose hearts have been pierced 
by the sword of the Spirit. And he saveth such as be as of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51.17 David was in such a state, broken after his sin with Bathsheba. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou wilt not despise. Do you see your sin tonight? You say, Brother, we have a small group here. We have the faithful sheep here tonight. Brethren, I cannot see your heart. I bring the good news to you as, as I would to anyone else. Flee to Christ. If you see your sins and the wasting destruction of them, if your heart is burdened and broken because you know you've sinned against this holy God, Jesus Christ came to bring good news. He came to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Come unto me, all ye that are labor, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come unto me. His blood can make the foulest clean. That humbles us. It brings us to contrite hearts. And brethren, there we meet with God. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Jesus came to preach deliverance to the captives. Oh, brethren, sin is not only a, a, a vile and wasting thing that makes us paupers. It's, it's not only a, a devastating thing that breaks our hearts, it is a binding, enslaving thing. Men are held fast in its chains. But Jesus came to bring good news. He came to set the captives free. Brethren, salvation is all about liberty. Not liberty to live like the world and still think you're going to heaven as so many seem to be convinced today, but liberty to serve the Most High God. Liberty from the damnation of our sins. Liberty from the condemnation of the law. Liberty from the frown of God to walk into His glorious smile in Christ. Liberty from the power of sin that bound me. Jesus Christ sets the captive free. Amen. He gives them of that same Spirit with whom He was anointed. And as He walked in that power, they walk in that power. Amen. Oh yes, it's limited. Oh yes, He gives a different measure to all of us. But it is there nonetheless. And even the weakest faith, 
can stare at hell and know that by faith alone in Christ he will never go there. That's the work of the Spirit, brethren. That's freedom. That is deliverance. No longer bound by the opinions of men. No longer concerned about what people think about us. We just walk and bask in the glorious liberty of having been rinsed and washed and cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 146 verse 7 tells us the Lord looseth the prisoners. Those that have been in bondage to their lusts. Those that have been in bondage to pornography. Those that have been in the bondage to, to death and to drugs and to alcohol. Those that have been in bondage to their lying tongues. Those that have been in bondage to their coveting. That God sets them free. Brethren, that's freedom. That's liberty. That's life. Jesus has come to do that. He announced it to these people that very day. That's why Paul could write in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, who hath delivered us, delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Oh, dear friend, do you walk in that freedom today? Set free by Christ. What glory. Christ came to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Brethren, religion can't do that. Only a living Savior can. And I ask you, I plead with you, consider your soul. Are you still in bondage where you sit? Christ sets the captives free. God in the human body, and I don't mean a spirit simply filling a a fleshly vessel. He was fully a man. But God, become flesh, announced this day, 2,000 years ago. This thing is fulfilled in your ears. It is as real for us as it was for them. It's recovering of sight to the blind. Sin is a blinding thing as well as a binding thing. But there's good news. Psalm 146, 8, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind when all you could see before were the things that pleased you. When all you could see before was the confusion of this world, trying to make sense out of it. When all you could see before were the things of this culture and of this world. God in His mercy comes and opens those blind eyes to see that there are other realities. That sin is real, hell is real, And there's a Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. We truly begin to see. Spiritually, we begin to discern and understand His Word and spiritual things. 
We're not left to just bounce off the walls of sin and darkness anymore. But God's Word becomes a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. We have light. As the Scripture says, in thy light, we see light. And we can walk. If you've ever seen the blind man stumbling, trying to get to the wall, or tapping in front of him to see if there's something for which he can stumble, he doesn't know. The Christian has been given eyes to perceive and to discern. Oh, what a great salvation. Malachi, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, speaking of Christ's glorious work, says, The people which sat in darkness saw great light. What was that great light? It was Him. It was our Savior. And friend, by the eyes of faith where you sit now, you can believe on Him unto everlasting life. Open the pages of Matthew and behold the King. Open the pages of John and look back into eternity. And see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Open the pages of Luke and see the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God descending upon His Christ. We can see. We can see. We can see our sin. We can see our need. We can see the Savior. Oh, and He sets at liberty the bruised. Brethren, sin is not only an impoverishing thing, a devastating thing, a binding and a blinding thing. Sin is a damaging, mutilating thing. He's setting at liberty those that are bruised. Oh, I don't, not my purpose to make you morbid or turn you into a fleshly introspect. But look back at your life before Christ. What damage you did to yourself. Look back at the wasting damage you did to others. Look at the bruised, broken, crushed ones behind you. Look at the path. Look at the swath that you cut through life. Sin is a damaging thing. There are people out there, brethren, if the Lord would just bring them back across my path, I'd say, oh, I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Do you know someone that I prayed about for over 20 years that I'd sinned against when I was younger? God brought back across my path a year and a half ago. I had prayed, Lord, if you ever bring this person back across my path, I will beg forgiveness. God in His mercy did that. Now, why am I bringing that up? Oh, because I bruised that one. I wounded that one. But there's good news. Jesus Christ said, I came to sit at liberty, them that are bruised. 
we not only bruise others, we damage ourselves in our sin. But listen to Malachi 4. Listen to the prophet. Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. Brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ and His glorious work is the healing balm for our souls. What a glorious Savior. And finally, he said, I've come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, sent to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, the reference here is to the year of Jubilee. You go back and read about it in Leviticus chapter 25. We don't have time for that this evening. It's an interesting study. But brethren, this was something that God commanded as the universal release for persons and property when debts were forgiven and when the slaves were set free. It was to come every 50 years. Because of the comprehensive character of the deliverance that the Jews saw in that year of Jubilee, where God was saying, now, we don't want to ruin these that owe you because they can't pay you back. In the 50th year, release that debt. In the 50th you got a, a brother that's been laboring for you, release him in the year of Jubilee. And they began to see and understand that this some way prefigured a great time when all debts would be paid. A time of total forgiveness and of deliverance. Brethren, when that Holy Spirit came down upon that Holy One standing in the water, when He conquered the enemy in the wilderness and then stood before His own, the year of Jubilee, was being declared. The inauguration of that great and golden age where where the prisoners, the slaves, not the prisoners, where the slaves will be set free and we walk in the liberty of His glorious kingdom right now. And the day is coming when we'll see it in its final glory. Whatever your position is on the end times, The best is yet ahead of us. Well, here is the reality of Christ preaching and we will close. I trust you see with me that this was an incredible moment in history. It It is as though as just before the dawn when the fingers of the sun were beginning to poke through the darkness, when John the Baptist came thundering out of the wilderness, hear the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, arises with healing in His wings. And He says, Today, this is true. Today is fulfilled. Because Jesus is anointed with the Spirit, He has all the power infinitely necessary to save 
sanctify and glorify every sinner that trusts in Him. The doubting sinner can find certainty in Christ. The weak sinner can find strength in Christ. The wounded sinner can find healing in Christ. The filthy sinner can find cleansing in Christ. The captive sinner finds liberty in Christ. The broken sinner finds wholeness in Christ. The weeping sinner can find solace in Christ. The deaf sinner finds his hearing in Christ. The blind sinner can find his sight in Christ. And oh, dear one, the dead sinner is raised to life in Christ. Because Jesus is anointed with the Spirit to preach the glorious gospel, anointed His apostles to do the same, and has charged the elders of the church and His people, then the weakest sinner may have full confidence in Christ's saving power. And 2,000 years since that was fulfilled has proved it true. And if it is another 2,000 or 10,000 before the Lord returns, it will be just as true every day for every sinner that turns to Him. Because Jesus is anointed with the Spirit, we may have full assurance that every promise in Christ is true. Let me close on this note. After hearing these great and good things, if we read through the rest of the passage, we discover that after this glorious announcement, they tried to kill Him. Oh, may we not leave here in the condition that they left the synagogue. Oh, may we flee to the one anointed to preach the good news. May we see Him as the embodiment of God's eternal purpose and the glorious saving power of Almighty God. Because the day will come when He will fulfill the last part of the verse where He left off the reading. The day will come when He will bring the vengeance of the Lord. Before that day, let us hear the One who was anointed to preach. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 450 